We are in the midst of a long journey through the book of John. We're in this uh, subset of John that we've called Alive. It's really the reason why we're calling it Alive is because we're in this Eastertide season. Uh, on the Christian calendar, Easter isn't just a year. It's a season after Jesus rose from the dead. And then he is constantly dropping in on disciples along the way. And so today we drop in on the fourth appearance where Jesus is appearing to our friend Thomas. So when you think of Mother's Day, the first thing you think of probably isn't a sermon on Thomas, but we're going to do our best to pull it in. But when you do think of Mother's Day, what do you think about? Like question answer time. Your mom. mom? Good start. Good start. I'm pretty sure that you are Captain Obvious and uh, that's a beautiful thing. We like Captain Obvious. All right. What else do you hear? What else do you think of? Dedicated? Okay, Mother's Day, not just moms, but Mother's Day. What do you think about on, on a day like today? Flowers. Flowers? How old your children are? Your children. If you're a mom, you're thinking about your kids. Yeah, so I think of things like this. Maybe this is just my own twisted uh, mind. But like flowers, massages, uh, taking the day off or working harder if you're not the mom. But our day's coming in June. Um, <laughs> At brunch, mimosas, this is what I think of, easy, that's the loudest amen we've had so far, my gosh, we dedicated children and we have that loud of an amen, uh, but that's what you think of, right, and, and so we think of uh, more of the beauty side of what mothers truly are all about. I want to talk today about the strength side, uh, because when I think of a mom, uh, particularly my own mom and then the mother of my children, I think of strength, I think of beauty but I also think of strength, of fortitude. Moms are strong. Um, biologically giving birth to a child is the strongest thing I've ever witnessed in my life. I witnessed it. I, I, I didn't do anything. And as a matter of fact, was told, go away, be quiet, go over there. Don't hold my hand, don't do anything. I have many stories that are popping in my mind right now. I will share none of them. <laughs> She, yeah, no, she's not here, but that's why I'm sharing none of them. Uh, so look, biologically, that's a strong thing to do. If you have done that um, uh, in other ways, through adopting or through fostering, you too have shown fortitude to fight through systems of injustice, of inefficiency. You have battled the courts. You have battled adoption agencies. Even though they're for you, sometimes it doesn't feel like they're for you. You've battled with the CPS, all to adopt a child or children. Or perhaps that dream hasn't come true. And you've suffered silently with the emotional loss of either having what was a child, but then losing that child, or perhaps never even being able to conceive at all. There is strength in all those things. Deep strength. And behind all of those strengths are disappointments. Behind all of those ways that we can show our strength in life, there's a whole lot of disappointment with how life has turned out. Strength is displayed as a result of disappointment. And disappointment that, that childbirth was that difficult or didn't go the way that you wanted it. You planned it one way, like in a bathtub at home, and then you ended up having to do a C-section. There's a disappointment in that. There's a disappointment when you have, quote-unquote, have to foster or adopt. There's a disappointment in having to say goodbye to a child, which we all pray we don't ever have to deal with. But disappointment, disappointment gives way to strength. But it's not just moms, right? 
If this was just a sermon to moms, we'd miss 40% of the audience. Instead, it's not just moms who display strength through disappointment. It's all of us. We've all been disappointed. We've all had expectations unfulfilled. And what do we do? Well, we probably throw a fit like our children in the corner for a little bit. But eventually, we find the strength and the faith to push through, to power through. And we display that strength. We all have disappointments in life and even with God himself. Just as easily as disappointments lead to some to deeper trust in God, which for many of us in this room, that's been the case. Our disappointments have led to deeper trust in God. But just as easily as that's the case, the number one reason why people walk away from God isn't because of their logical conclusions. It's because of disappointment. It's because they've expected one thing and gotten another. A pastor recently polled his congregation on the struggles that they have with Christianity, and more importantly, with God. And these are some of the things that came to the top of his list that I thought I'd pass along. Maybe some of us, this resonates with some of us. How can God send people to hell? How can he allow bad things to happen to good people? How is it that, um, really, that, 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 uh, he, that he heals some, but not all? How is it that miscarriages are allowed to Christians? How is it that God chooses some, and yet doesn't choose others. These are common struggles that I think a lot of us would wrestle with. If you think about kind of the, I don't know, the insanity of our faith, um, come with me a little bit here. Because I, I, want, I want us to kind of lean into uh, just the craziness of our faith. We believe as Christians that a snake talks to a woman in a garden a long time ago. Yes? You believe this? It's, it's the real, literal word of God, not just a fairy tale and not just uh, some, some sort of allegorical story. Like a, a snake spoke a language that a human could understand long ago. We believe that. We also believe then that um, a virgin gave birth to a child. Also a little crazy, right? So much so that that was the thing that they kind of came against Jesus for. Like, isn't your mom the one that said she was pregnant? I mean, after all, aren't you the carpenter's son? That's a crazy story, Mary. These are the things that we wholeheartedly affirm, though, as Christians. But have you really considered what we believe? It's stuff like a talking snake. It's stuff like a virgin who was somehow, not physically, spiritually, impregnated by the Spirit of God. Like when you start thinking about all that and then add into that all the theological stuff like Jesus truly was 100% man, 100% God in the flesh, it, it, it starts to blow your mind. And the only thing that you can do at some point is believe it or not. And so I would invite all of us just like the, the first step of faith and how do we get into deeper phases of faith? There's a guy named Thomas in the Bible, and I think he's going to show us at least four phases of deeper faith. And you might think of yourself, how do you know what Thomas is known by? How do you know him? What's the adjective that you know Thomas by? Doubting, Doubting Thomas. And maybe he was. But maybe that doubt served as an instrument of faith and not a wall to deeper faith. So all these things are illogical, right? This snake, this, this virgin, this, this Jesus that came 100% God, 100% man, that he died, we believe that, but that he also is raised to life. 
that, and then somehow, in, after 50 days, after his resurrection, he pulls a Neo from the Matrix and flies up to heaven, and now he's in a spiritual place, reigning physically at the right hand of God. These things are hard to believe. They're past our logic. They're not anti-logic. They're just beyond what we can see right now. And so this guy named Thomas, he wants the same thing we want. He wants to be able to see. Don't you want that? Don't you want to just be able to see these things? Don't you want a miracle? I mean, that, that kind of what happens in our lives. Let's say you're making a big decision. You do some things. You kind of do a rain dance and want Jesus to respond to your rain dance. That's what we do. We're just like Thomas. So if we're going to label him as doubting Thomas, maybe we should also go, yeah, just like Nicole prayed, I believe, but help my unbelief. I got a long way to go before all this gets set right within me. But see, that miracle doesn't come. That, that rain doesn't come all the time. And so just like Thomas, we join him and we start to ask questions just like he asked. Why hasn't he appeared to me? Where has he been? Why was I left out of the party? You see, if you remember this story, Jesus has already appeared to all the other disciples, the other 11 that were left. Now he's appeared to 10 except for Thomas. Why was I left out? Why won't you show yourself to me, God? Where is my miracle? What did I do wrong? Where do I lack faith? These are common questions, I would say, for all of us. And though he was labeled as a doubter throughout history, his doubt fueled strength to become deeper in the faith. So deep and so strong that Thomas would be the man who history knows as the disciple who went the furthest. If you know your history of the uh, original disciples, you know that Thomas was the one that went all the way to India, South India, where he was run through with a spear. What makes doubting Thomas turn from doubting Thomas to disciple Thomas who goes to India and dies for Jesus? How does one get transformed from that guy to this guy over here? It's these phases of faith that I think he displays for all of us. So go with me in the scriptures. We'll read through it once again, but we're going to do it in pieces and then unpack it as we go. As we look at these four phases to deeper faith on a Mother's Day, as we look at the strength and the fortitude of mothers, how can we then be reminded of the strength of deeper faith with Thomas. Here's what the Bible says in verse 24 and 25. First phase is this. Let's be honest. We have to be honest with where we are. Verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, all right, look here. I, I'm not believing you guys. So unless I see his hands the mar in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, ain't happening. I will never believe. I will never trust, not just what you have to say, but that Jesus is risen. I think the biggest misperception that we can find about doubt, and that's why I'm just willing to lean into that Jesus, or that, that Thomas was doubtful. I think one of the biggest misconceptions about doubt is that it's always sinful or always wrong. If that was true, why did Jude 22, I know that you've done your quiet time in Jude this week, but Jude 22 says this, 
Have mercy on those who doubt. There is a command for us to be merciful to those who are doubting some things in the faith. You see, there's a good doubt and a bad doubt. This good doubt has with it a curiosity at its core. You're open to answers. You're seeking the truth. You want to find a hope, and you are curious. But there's also a bad doubt that the Bible does warn us about. And at the heart of that doubt is not curiosity, but cynicism. At the heart of that doubt is that no matter how many facts are presented to you, you've already made your mind up. You're not going to be swayed. You will not be persuaded. And in fact, it just looks like doubt, but there's no doubt at all. They will not believe no matter what. And there's no curiosity in someone who doubts this way. Only cynicism. Tim Keller says this about doubt and how it's good. If you know anything about Tim Keller, he, he thinks a little bit. Um, and this is what it says. Is that all on the screen at the same time? We all need to have our cheaters. Holy moly. Okay, I'm going to read this to y'all. Y'all, y'all, y'all. y'all hang with me. A faith without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy, suffering, you will find yourself defenseless against suffering, or you will find yourself defenseless against the probing questions of a smart skeptic. See, they're going to push you past logic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she or he has failed over the years to listen to your own doubts, which should only be discarded after long reflection. Believers should acknowledge and wrestle with doubts, not only their own, but their friends and their neighbors. It's not something to be run from, to run from but instead to press into. Why? Because we see a bigger picture of who God is in the midst of questioning and settling into some of those doubts that we may have. So if we're self-aware and we're honest, right, we're, we all have doubts. You could probably name a few in your mind that you've got doubts about God, maybe about his character, maybe about whether or not this really thing happened in the Bible. We've got doubts. That's just part of our human nature is that there is a doubt in us. But the good news is this, that we are not alone. There is a long history of people who doubted God throughout the Bible. If you go all the way back, Abraham and Sarah, right? Genesis 15, a Abraham is given this, this promise from God that his, his descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars. Genesis 15. Genesis 16, it starts off with Hagar. Hagar is, uh, well, let's just say, was his unfaithful mate. And he ends up having a child with Hagar with the suggestion of his, of his wife. She has that child and all of a sudden all heck breaks loose in their family. They become unfaithful and yet at the same time they concoct their own plan to fulfill God's promise on the earth with Hagar and Ishmael. But when God's promises to Sarah come, some many years later, she was 90 years old. Could you imagine being 90 and being promised to be with child? You might have some doubts about that. And so what does she do? She laughs. And God says, why'd you laugh? I didn't laugh. No, you laughed. Nonetheless, 
What about Moses when he was called to be Israel's deliverer? He goes, who am I? I don't have the, the skill set to do this. And then when he's done questioning about that, he's kind of run out of, of answers and questions. He goes, now who are you then? Who am I to say who sent me? And nonetheless, he gets sent. Gideon, when he's called to save Israel from the Midianites, and he basically goes to God and he says, hey, just so I heard you right, you want me to go to the Midianites who have been defeating us for years and you want me to rescue Israel out of the hand of the Midianites. Just so I got this right, I'm going to put a fleece out on the ground and overnight I want you to only make the fleece have dew on it and everything else on the ground has to be spotless and dry. All right, ready, go. Ready, go. All right, good. You did that, God. Now, the next day I wake up, I want, to do you, I want you to do the opposite. The fleece must be dry, and now all the land must also have dew on it. All right, ready, go. Oh, man, you did that too. There's this constant doubting that happens throughout the Bible, and God, what does he do? He remains faithful to answer us. He doesn't run from us. He's not mad that we put our fleece out, not twice, but 20 times. Lord, if you're in this, I'll do it. Lord, if you just show me the way, I'll go. Thomas, I want, to see his, I want to see his wounds. I don't want to just see his dead body. I want to put my fingers in it. It's pretty harsh when you think about it. And yet, Jesus, what does he do? He shows up, right? But we're not there yet. I mean, how about us, though? What are these doubts that you have? What are these doubts that you're carrying with you? What have you whisked past in an effort to be more efficient? I can tell you right now with the news stories that have gone on this week, I don't know why people that neglect or abuse children are allowed to breathe one more breath. Like that's my doubt. That's my confusion with the Lord. And one day we'll be able to answer that and he'll probably go, because you're just as bad as them. Remember that. Remember the gospel. Your need is just as deep and wide as that person. Thank you. But I, there's one of those things that I just have an issue with, right? We see the news. We see that go, like God has the power to drop that dude dead in a minute. And he won't for whatever reason. And one day we'll get there and he'll be able to explain that to us. That's my doubt. What's yours? My doubt used to be and still kind of is, like why is it necessary for there to be a Texas children's hospital, period? What have children done? What have, I don't understand all of that. There are doubts in me that, that, that cause me to run to the Lord. What are your doubts? What are you asking? What have you run past? What have you wondered for an instant and gone, no, I can't go down that hole. I gotta go this way. Maybe the Lord is inviting you to come closer. It's not enough just to be honest though, right? We have to be patient we pick up the Bible again. It's not just enough to say, I need this from you, God. If you don't do these things, I will never believe. That's the first step. The second one is this. We've got to be patient. Look at this with the Bible, verse 26. I'm just going to read the first three words. Eight days later. You ever wonder what Thomas thought about for eight days? I will never believe unless I put my finger in his side. And then silence for a week. Yet you find him with the disciples, still being faithful on this next Sunday, still behind the locked doors that Stephen talked about. Like we think that he went through the doors. Maybe he levitated through the floor or came down to the ceiling or maybe he just didn't do any of that and he just appeared. We don't know. But could you imagine eight days going by? Yes, of course you can. You have had many a day go by. 
and your doubts and your disbelief. Many of us think that God has abandoned us if he does not um, immediately answer us. Like what's the greatest thing that happens on your phone? Ding. Yeah, ding. Thank you. That's one way to put it. Yeah. So I would say this, right? It's, it's not just a ding, but like when you text someone, what do you hate? You hate, number one, that they've had their read receipt on and they read it like an hour ago. You hate that. You're longing for the text bubbles to come up. You're longing for them to respond to you. You've, you've thrown something out to them and you want those text bubbles to pop up because then you know, ooh, they're responding. This is what we do. We, it, we may not do this, but this is what we do. The text bubbles pop up and we're all of a sudden in a conversation. Thomas waited eight days and we are in a culture that is instant. I won't go into all the microwaves of really outdating ovens in some ways, digital music. We can't even go to the store and pay for CDs anymore. We've got to instantly download them. Commercials have become obsolete, which is why they're forcing them down our throat in every medium they can find because we just DVR everything and fast forward through them all. Netflix, no longer, you don't have to wait a whole week to find the new episode. It's on right now. Matter of fact, we're going to put that on you in 15 seconds. Are you ready? Because that's what Netflix does. You can binge watch, right? You know, they just like release the whole season, not just an episode. Culture has seen waiting as an inconvenience, a temporary inconvenience to be avoided, whereas God sees waiting as an instrument to produce eternal fruit. I will say that again. Culture has seen waiting as a temporary inconvenience to be avoided, whereas God sees waiting as an instrument to produce eternal fruit. That eternal fruit being patience, one of the fruit of the Spirit. We do this with our kids, don't we? Good parents make their kids wait. They want, you know, like a, a pocket mod or a scooter. Let's just say this happened to your family. Not that it would ever happen to my family. Let's just say they wanted a scooter and one of the siblings got a scooter for, for Christmas and one of them didn't want a scooter for Christmas. So we didn't, you know, they, not me, but you know, someone like me. So we didn't get them a scooter for Christmas. And so what happens? We don't go and go get them a scooter. All of a sudden we go, well, see, here's the deal. This is how life works. You now have to save all your money over however many months to be able to afford that scooter. Now, because mom and dad are gracious and merciful and compassionate, we will pay for half. But you gotta get to a half. So what does that do? It produces ingenuity, it produces creativity, it, cr it creates in them a desire to save, but more than anything, it implements the character that comes with waiting. We do this, hopefully we do this, I do this, or someone like me does that. If God wants to produce the fruit of patience in us, he will make us wait. And if we wait well, we will long in hope that God truly is the only one that will satisfy our deepest longings. Waiting is God's way of reminding us that we are human. Reminding us that we are human, breaking us from the idols of control, of power, of instant and in, and in further entrusting our souls to God as our ultimate source of provision. So we get to this third phase, right? Not just being honest, not just being patient, but also when God shows up, and he will, will you be open? See, I think this is the hardest part of this whole journey, especially for someone like Thomas, who might be someone like me. 
Be patient, be honest, but also be open. Look at verse 26 and 27. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them, although the doors were locked, and Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Amidst your anxiety, amidst your worries, amidst just crazy town, I need X in order for me to believe that you are real. Peace. Then Jesus said to Thomas in verse 27, Hey, Tom, put your finger here. See my hands? You want to see them? Here they are. Put out your hand. You want to put your hand in my side? Go ahead. And all this so that Thomas would believe, would quit disbelieving and believe. A.W. Tozer famously said that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. One of the hardest things for us to accept is God for who he is, not for who we want him to be. And so if we have this image in our mind about who God is, and then Jesus doesn't lift up to that image, what are we going to do? See, that's the situation that they're all faced with, that Jesus was supposed to come and fulfill the prophecies and take down Rome and deliver his people out of the oppression of Rome. And yet he does much more than that. He delivers them out of the oppression of sin and death. And it's not just Israel. It's all of God's people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. So he's going beyond his expectations. But Thomas, Thomas can't see that yet. No, he's disoriented. And so how about us? What image in our mind have we made of God? What expectations have we had of who we think God should be? Because as disorienting as the death and resurrection of Jesus was to Thomas, perhaps what's more disorienting for us is that Jesus does not condemn Thomas. Don't we expect Jesus to come down hard on Thomas right here? Like, how dare you, Thomas? You've, you've walked with me for three years. Don't you know by now? Don't you want to end up like Judas? Like, don't we, don't we have that running tape of maybe our own childhood? But that's not how our Father in heaven has worked when he sent his son to go to Thomas and now to us and says, you bring your doubt to me because I will go to whatever distance I need to go to prove my love for you. And so you bring it to me, Thomas. Can we believe that Jesus would show up in our life, especially this last week? Like we know that Hurricane Harvey came and went some year and a half ago, and when it starts to rain like it rained on Tuesday and then again on Thursday, don't we all just start to get a little anxious, especially if we live near the river? If you're like over in Long Meadow Farms, you barely knew Harvey happened. Like you heard about it, but you don't, you don't know like in Pecan Grove and over near the river, like it was, it was, uh, it was, it was rough, right? And so when Harvey came and went, and all of a sudden it, it took out way more, even in some in Long Meadow Farms, took out way more than what even the experts were predicting. And all of a sudden it rains like it rained this week. Don't we get a little weary and worrisome and anxious? And that Thomas spirit raises in, up, in us. And we go, are you going to take care of us? Are you going to stop the rain in time?
Can we believe that Jesus would show up in our lives even when we're full of anxiety, full of doubt on whether or not God will take care of us, even though that he has shown us time and time again? Can we believe that he would show up and say, peace be with you? Can we believe that about our Jesus? See, our questions about God don't provoke condemnation, but intimacy. And so if you are a person that struggles with questions and doubt and disbelief, God is not afraid of that posture at all. Instead, he welcomes you. He welcomes you. He welcomes you to stand before him, to put your hand where he's been most wounded so that you can remember his wounds and forget your worries. He, he invites you to, to stand before him and, and place whatever you've got onto him so that you can remember his wounds and forget your worries. Will we be open? Will we have soft eyes, soft hearts to receive whatever he has to give us? Finally, after we've been honest, patient, and open, where does that leave us? Well, it leaves us with a fork in the road. Will we trust him or not? Look at verses 28 through 31. Don't disbelieve, Thomas, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Right there on the spot, he, he entrusts Jesus for everything that he promised to be. Both maker and master, Lord and God. The one that is in control of all things and the one that is wise above all things. King, sovereign, right there in the moment. All of his disbelief is gone. And now he's entrusting himself to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's you and me, folks. Jesus calls you blessed when you believe beyond sight. Beyond that miracle you're praying for, beyond the audible voice of God that you're waiting for, beyond the fleece that you've put out two, three, 20 times, beyond whatever sign that you've asked God to give you, He's still saying, blessed are you, those who have not seen and yet have believed. See, this master and maker, this Lord and God is the thing that sets Thomas right. So right, in fact, that he says to us that we are blessed if we have the faith beyond those that have seen Jesus. We're, 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 we're blessed. We're happy, joyful. Why is that? Because we are a people that are like, hardwired to believe what we see. 4.38 a.m., Friday morning, probably something like this happened in your house. It definitely happened at my house. We were up because of the storms and we had like children in our rooms and dogs barking and everything else. And my wife looked at me and she goes, hey, there's no school tomorrow. I was like, well, praise God for that. Everybody gets a day off. But I didn't trust her word. I picked up my phone and I dialed it up and I just wanted to make sure for with my own eyes that school really was canceled tomorrow. I didn't trust her because I've been hardwired. Not just, it's, not a, it's not a character assassination on my wife. Instead, it's on me. I've been hardwired to not believe, to just see. That's in all of us, right? But the crux of the Christian life for us is that although we want signs and wonders and certainty, God's audible voice, 
Jesus pronounces us blessed. Isn't that what he promised in verse 30 and 31? Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe. You see, there's going to be generations to come where you won't see signs and miracles and wonders. But is there not enough evidence in this book to cause belief? Has not God already done enough to secure us to be faithful, to continue to trust? Will we be a people that trust God at his word? Particularly the word out of Isaiah 55, but I'll just reference, it doesn't have to come up, but he says is this, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We believe that God is wise and king and Lord and master and good even when we don't see what he's up to. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you sent your spirit to abide in us, to help us. As Christina and everybody else gets up to continue to lead us in response want to remind us that we don't have to run off to get our kids. We'll do that after we get out of here. After we respond in song, we'll go get our kids. But I say that because I don't want us to rush past the moment. And some of us in this room on Mother's Day are perhaps doubting the faithfulness of God because of a parent. Our mom wasn't faithful enough. Our dad wasn't faithful enough. Or perhaps... It's the other way around that we're trusting the goodness of God because we can't seem to get our acts together as parents. And Lord, if you're real, you would just you get rid of this, this, this negative energy that's in me, this, this whatever you want to call it. And so whatever it is, Lord, we just ask that you would make, um, make it abundantly clear those doubts that we've kind of pushed deep into the recesses of whatever corner of our heart so as to be self-protected from it. But perhaps we need to go and find that thing, that question that we have in our mind and then go process it with some trusted friends. Perhaps we need to process it with our growth group or our neighborhood group or over lunch with our mom. She knows. She's got wisdom. But may the counsel of God's word be our true hope in that. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, make it abundantly obvious wherever it is that we need to uh, not just look for answers, but also whatever questions that we've hidden away, I pray that you give us wisdom. I pray that you draw out those questions that we have so that we can come to you for the answers. For you stand ready to receive us. You stand ready And so I pray, Lord, that we would come to you with those questions. We would ask those questions in honesty and boldness and humility, looking to you, being patient, being open to whatever answer you want to give us, whatever it is that we're struggling with or worried about. We ask, God, that you would give us the ability to do that. We love you. We um, look to you for the answers. We respond now. We ask, God, that you would uh, speak to us even as we sing this song together. We love you. It's in Christ's name. Amen.